This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. A great hand reached out of the dark and grasped mine for a moment, mightily and tenderly. I said to myself, the veil between, though very dark, is very thin. Hello, and welcome to The Thin Place, the Film Geek Radio podcast devoted to discussions of religion, faith, and spirituality in film. Your hosts for this episode are Todd Truffin, that's me, and Ken Moorfield, that's me. This is episode number 40 for September 2013. Our topic for this episode is Gravity the 2013 film by Alfonso Cuaron, starring Sandra Bullock and George Clooney in space. This episode is not a spoiler-free discussion. If you have not yet seen the film and do not want plot spoilers, now would be a good time to check out one of the other great podcasts on Film Geek Radio. Part of a larger discussion, though, (laughs) but I don't even know what a spoiler is anymore. You know, in terms of the film itself, I don't think we're going too far in terms of a basic summary of simply saying what we have here. In some ways, it's a general way of saying don't get mad at us. (laughs) Uh, Don't get mad at us. Covering covering our backside, but not like we're going to go out of the way to spoil the film for you. And just watching the trailer, you will know that this is a film about two astronauts who are on a mission in space. Uh, There is a catastrophe, and... The film is the story of how they navigate this catastrophe. We can say that. Yes. And in some ways, it's interesting. In some ways, it's a rather small film in that we really only have two actors on the screen ever. Well, there's a third one very briefly. There's no actor. Yeah. (laughs) There's a spacesuit that moves. Um, And we, we do have the voice of Ed Harris as Houston Mission Control. Um, a familiar role for him. Right. Um, and, and it's funny. I, I did find it oddly comforting to hear Ed Harris's voice as Mission Control in Houston. It's almost like that's what Mission Control is supposed to be. Well, that's a long rabbit hole that, that I don't want to go down, but I sort of mentioned in my reviews that comparisons to Apollo 13 are inevitable, and I don't want to hear anyone when I compare the film unfavorably to Apollo 13, say, oh, well, they're two different movies, you know, or why are you comparing it to Apollo 13? If you're going to cast Ed Harris, in, Ed Harris in that role, you are inviting right. a comparison to Apollo 13. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you cannot make that comparison. Right. So before we get into the nitty-gritty of various discussions we have, um, just... Generally speaking, what did you think? I liked the film. And the reason why I wanted to give the general impressions first is because we've gotten some feedback that would say something like, uh, if we jump right into specific points, it sounds like we're picking apart the film, and then we come to the end and we like it, and that sounds like walking back everything that we just said, uh, so that when we subsequently move on to some questions or criticisms, it's in the context of, Overall success. Uh, I did not think that it was a great film. I thought it was a good film. I think people will go. I think people should go. I think they will enjoy it. I sort of walked into Toronto based on buzz 
expecting a four-month showdown between Gravity and 12 Years a Slave for Best Picture and uh, perhaps even thinking that Gravity was a front-runner because of the popularity of George Clooney. And I sort of walked out saying, no, nah, this is a good this is a good entertainment vehicle uh, or movie as opposed to film. I am resistant to claims of higher significance or you know, people who want to put it in the great category, but I don't even know in film criticism anymore how to carve out a place for good but not great. Yeah, it seems that we're in some sort of place where you're, you know, well, it's the Roger Ebert, Gene Siskel, it's thumbs up or thumbs down. And it's like, really? Right. But I want to be able to distinguish between thumbs up and the best film ever. Right. And it seems like anytime you get people out in front saying best film ever, if you're saying no, you're not, no, it's not, then you're saying it sucks. Yeah. Well, it's and, a, it's, and it's I'm like, there's a lot of ground in between those. Yeah, it's a, it's a very binary sort of discussion right. of it's either the best thing ever or it's the worst thing ever. Right. And well, thumbs up doesn't mean okay or marginal thumbs up. It means, yeah, right. Thumbs up means best off. film ever. <laughs> and thumbs down, therefore, doesn't mean a gradation between a film that just doesn't make it and one that is a total abomination, right? right? I mean, I think there's, in in academic terms, there are papers that are zero because you failed or you plagiarized or are are F minus minus and there are papers that are 68 (laughs) or D plus because you almost made it and there are papers that are C stumbling, you know, competent, but not particularly enlightening, and A+, and those are both passing papers. I, I guess I would put gravity in the B to B-plus range. It's, it's polished. It's technically well-achieved. There are some things that keep it from that A level of outstanding or exceptional. Uh, but before we jump in and talk about those, yeah. you, you want to make sure that we're talking about those in the context of this is what keeps it from being great, not this is what makes it terrible. Right. And, you know, from my point of view, um, I walked out of the theater having been, you know, thoroughly entertained. Um, as a thriller, it, it kept me tense. And, um, you know, I liked the two characters. Um, you know, these were people I, I didn't want to see horrible things happen to. Um, although in the realm of good but not great, um, should something horrible have happened, I don't know that I would have been terribly upset. You know, it's, it's that thing of the thriller where you know bad things are going to happen. So, you know, that's that's just part of the game. Right. Yeah. Well, the mark of how much the characters are developed in a thriller, and I really do think this is more of a thriller than a drama, or even a thriller slash horror in, in right. terms of uh, the prospect of danger, is how how strong is the emotional impact when something bad happens or if something happens? Is it a momentary bummer or is it like, oh man, that that really hits you? And yeah. and I think you know the emotional impact is more on the lines of something like 
Predator or Aliens where it's like, oh, I liked that character. Yeah. But not on the level of... See, I'm trying to not give a spoiler. Like Braveheart or something like that where something happens and you're like, man, oh, that just gets me. Yeah, and I, and I think you know one of the key things there in terms of it being a thriller as opposed to something more dramatic is you know when a character is injured or something it's it's not the oh that really gets me it's okay now here's another problem right you know for our main character mm-hmm. and you know at that point then you begin to see that you know ancillary characters or whatever are are not supposed to really be people they're just they're there to help the main character or create problems. Well, and that's why I almost am tempted to go the route of the, instead of calling it the thriller of, of saying horror, mm-hmm. uh, because it's this kind of weird reverse horror film in, in that it's a mousetrap film, right? right? I mean, it's, it's really the essence of the plot is how do I get out of the maze or how do I get out of the, you know, how do I keep one step ahead of whatever is chasing me, whether it's an alien or an axe wielding maniac or a bunch of space debris? And, uh, how do I use whatever I have handy for me to get out of this situation? Um, usually we tend to think of horror as being in enclosed places and you want to get out. Right. And so there's a kind of inverseness of it of we've got this wide open place and you want to get in, but, Structurally, it's it's still got that that sort of um, um, the action is driven forward by the plot and the mechanics of solving the mechanical problems right. of the plot, and not to reveal changes or development or growth in the character or how the experiences change the characters in any way. A a contrasting example just popped into my head which is the film The Perfect Storm, which, while having multiple stories going on, which is one of the things that makes that film interesting, when we're on the the main, what I would call the main story of of the the swordfish boat, um, yeah, there are problems. And, and, but by the end of it, you're, you're riveted on those characters and the choices that they made to deal with the situation that don't work out well. And, but, when those characters meet their final demise, you know, you're feeling strongly for the characters. Um, and I think that, that that's the contrast. Right. That's, well, the, that's what this film isn't. Or it's, it's more of the mechanical mousetrap of, you know, and there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of suspense in gravity. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and that, that's very real. And one of the things that, that this film does so well is, is manage that suspense. Um, we keep kind of ratcheting things up, uh, and that's good. And you know, and, and back to the general impression. Yeah, well, just, the yeah. example that I just to yeah. piggyback yeah. on your example, the example I used in my review was Titanic. You yeah, know, which there you go. again has a similar structure of we're keeping one step ahead of the water as the boat is going down, and there's complications and there's people chasing us. But by and large, the thing that gives it the emotional impact is not the elegance of the escape. It's the difference between Titanic and the Poseidon Adventure. Right. You know, where the Poseidon Adventure, the characters are fairly one-note stock. Here's the fat chick. Here's the, 
young girl and her sister. Here's the embittered pastor. And, but it's really just about like, okay, what problem are they going to encounter next? Right. And how are they going to get past it? How many of them are going to survive? Versus Titanic, it's going to be, it's Jack and Rose. Will right. they ever be together? <laughs> I laugh because people get on me for liking that movie, but I mean, we all have our guilty pleasures, Ken. I've got plenty of my own. <laughs> oh. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. Yeah. About well, really, I mean, just yeah, back to, you know, just general impressions. I think both of us walked out of there feeling that this was a good film. We enjoyed it. Yes. I, I thought the acting was, you know, good. Although I, I did notice this comment in, in your review, and I, I think I agree with you. At no point did I ever stop thinking of it as Sandra Bullock in space. Um, I never thought, oh, that's Dr. Ryan Stone or that's you know, Matt, Kowalski. Matt Kowalski. Yeah. Whose name we had to look up because we couldn't even remember the guy's name because it's George Clooney in space. And so, you know, if the acting perhaps has any fault and, and maybe that's, just, you know, that's the thing of having such big actors and they're the only ones on the screen. It, it's hard to lose yourself in the idea that they're these different people. Well, I'll save this tease out, but because I think it'll come up in another context, but I, I actually think that's more the writing than mm -hmm. the acting, because I think there's uh, both Sandra Bullock and George Clooney are good enough actors that I think they're able to distinguish themselves right. or have created characters with less screen time or less right. you know, whatever. But that's kind of hard to do when you're in a thriller, right? right. You know? So we generally like the film. This being the thin place and a podcast devoted to issues of religion, spirituality, and film, uh, there is a, a an interesting sequence of events um, or moments. If we don't want to give it quite event um, that caught my attention. Is um, when we're thinking about these ideas because you know there is that question: What does a thriller have to do with spirituality? Um, except that through through the film, there are the, these three kind of key touchstone little moments that suggest, however obliquely, a kind of attempt at developing a spirit, something spiritual going on in this in this thriller world. Um, and yeah, at one point, Dr. Ryan Stone, Sandra Bullock, um, in a moment of deep stress when you know she thinks she's going to die, which could be at any moment, um, prays, um, and has this little moment of, you know, that, that I think is fairly common in, in several films of, okay, whoever's out there, I don't know who you are, I've never been taught about you, but I'm going to pray now. Please save me. Um, we get another scene later in which um, she's on a space station and there's a Buddha statue that is prominently um, shown on screen as another crisis is going through. Um, and then at the end of the film, we hear her utter thank you to no one in particular. Uh, so, or to someone or in particular. Someone in particular. And, and so I just, I thought it would be worthwhile for us to at least discuss these three. It, it, there seems to be an interesting sequence in here, you know, the, the first seemed to be something of a Western Judeo-Christian concept of religion. 
um, in the language that was used. Then we get the Buddha, and then we get this sort of generic thank you at the end. Um, I mean, what do we think? I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what I think is going on here, but it seems to be worth talking about. Yeah, I think that the representation of religion is part of this mix that doesn't work between what I think it came across to me like Quran was wanting to write a thriller but wasn't quite willing to divest these characters of any sort of backstory and so we're, we get these little moments that don't work well enough to flesh out the character for me in, in the writing but are supposed to have meant to somehow elevate the film beyond just the mousetrap or the escape. I, I will say that the Judeo-Christianness of the prayer or the beginning is tied a little bit to this important backstory or part of the backstory of Dr. Ryan Stone had a kid or a child uh, who died in a manner that she thought was just a dumb accident or yeah. dumb luck. And yeah. there's some question of part of why I say Judeo-Christian is her conception of heaven and the opportunity of whether she'll ever see her daughter again or anyone else will see her daughter or in what context. Uh, seems to be informed by assumptions that of the afterlife and of what happens after death that are there. So, but I think then when you go on to the Buddha and the thank you, there's a kind of unthought throughness about the religion or spirituality because it seems like at the beginning what we're getting is a character who is not religiously uninformed or faith uninformed, but is perhaps struggling with anger or bitterness towards God because this thing happened or doubts about God, his existence or his goodness, because this mm -hmm. thing happened in a similar way to say Mel Gibson's character in signs where it's not a matter of, I don't know. Uh, but then later on, she says something to the, when she's giving the more general prayer that you referred she says something to the effect of, well, no one's ever taught me to pray. You know, right. uh, no one will ever pray for me. No one's ever taught me to pray. I don't know how to pray. And to me, that's a different thing than, you know, I want to pray. I believe that, that I have this natural urge to pray but I just don't know how to do it. I'm not socialized versus I'm not sure if I want to pray. I have deep seated doubts about whether or not anything is there. And I suppose some people might say, okay, well, part of the progression and the, there's no atheists in foxholes right. is that my doubts, my previous experience makes me think there is no God or it's all just chance. And when I'm in that position, I need to re I need to believe in something, whether or not I actually do or not. And then the final thank you is a way of saying, yes, she's changed. And now that she's out of the foxhole, is she going to, you know, revert back to, oh, it's just a coincidence or did someone actually hear my prayer or, uh, which is but, what makes the, the Buddha thing then very confusing. 
Yeah. The, well, the Buddha thing seemed very cynical to me. Uh, she gets into a uh, Chinese spaceship, and there's a, a prominent shot of a little Buddha statue on there at a key moment where she's either praying or might be praying. <laughs> or Any one of us in the situation would have been praying. <laughs> or most of us would be praying. And certainly the way I took the Buddha shot was the filmmakers saying, okay, well, it's one of two ways. Either first, you are praying to God or Jesus, but if anyone else were on the ship, the normal person who was on the ship, who would normally be on the ship and something was going wrong, they would pray to Buddha or they find comfort in the representation yeah. of Buddha. And so it, it's that sort of like all religions are one or there's uh, can you really believe that at that particular moment in time, it matters whether you're praying to Jesus mm -hmm. or Buddha or something like that? Because are you really saying that God uh, is not going to save you if you're praying to him by the wrong name? Uh, so there's a little bit of that either. It, it seems to me that there's a little bit of a dig in the Buddha shot of the Christian notion or the Islamic notion of exclusivism mm -hmm. of, you know, well, our religion is right and everyone else's is, uh, is wrong. And the implications of that being then that God is indifferent to the prayers of anyone else. Um, or the other way that I think you can read that is a, a somewhat cynical version of well, you may believe in an intellectual level that your religion is right and everyone else's is wrong. But when put to the test, the person who's drowning grabs at any lifeboat and doesn't really care if it's a Buddhist life raft or a Christian life raft. They just, so, um, I mentioned this in the pre-show notes. It reminded me a little bit of that classic scene in The Sims where Homer is running away from danger. I think the mob's chasing him and he says, Jesus, Allah, Buddha, Krishna, somebody help, you know, and, and uh, that it's actually poking fun a little bit at, or poking something at, so that's how I read the Buddha thing. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I'm more towards your, your first thing. I mean, I as much as I think this film had any sort of coherent thought about the topic, which I, I'm not convinced that it is coherent. Um, it seemed to be more of a sort of, okay, her early grasping for help is, you know, what she knows, which is kind of this, just a very generic, um, kind of, you know, you ask the average American on the street, if they believe in God, they say, sure. But you get into any specifics and that, you know, unless they have been church, it, it's a very generalized Judeo-Christian, you know, yeah, there's a heaven, there's a good place, there's a bad place, God's sort of in control, and that's about it. Um, you know, her not knowing how to pray, I thought, I mean, put her in that category for me, of this... The know, unchurched. The, the unchurched, but yet we, we still, you know, live in a quote-unquote Christian right. nation, and so it's just, it's sort of in the air, that, mm -hmm. okay, there's God, there's heaven, there's hell, um, and, and that's right. I, you know, it's like, okay, we're grasping. And yeah, I mean, the, the Buddha thing seemed to me just either 
just a more generalized, oh, you know, here's a religious symbol. And it's, yeah, it, it's kind of that pan-religion, all religions are one, as you mentioned, sort of thing. And I, I think the film's more in that direction. I don't know, everything, nothing else in the film felt that cynical. Yeah. Well, okay, to tease that out a little bit, and maybe I've just got this word on my mind because I'm currently teaching the, the Puritans mm-hmm. in, in American Lit. But either the film has a providential worldview or it doesn't. You mm-hmm. know, providential worldview meaning God is there and God is in control of what is happening. Right. Uh, so it seems to me there's two ways of viewing the Chinese station. Uh, one is if, if she prays or when she prays, God is there and answers her prayer. Right. And what are the implications that God answers the prayer by giving her a Buddhist spaceship? You, you know, that may be the case of saying God's got a sense of humor. Or, so that's one sort of way you can sort of buy yeah. into that notion of saying, you know, God sometimes works in mysterious ways. It seems more likely to say God is not there. And... We pray, and sometimes what looks like answers to prayer are really just coincidences, or we figure things out, but we attribute them to God in the form of of well, inspiration. And so I think I'm that, not sure that those are the only two options. Uh, well, okay, if there's other options I mean, hear about that, I, I, you know, go ahead. I mean, I, I think the third option, you know, could be kind of a blending of those two, which is, I mean, there's only so many space stations that are up there, and you know. What's the nearest one? If it happens to be the Chinese one, I think it's fair to say that it's going to include tchotchkes of a Chinese nature that are in the space station. But not necessarily emblems of faith of a China. Of course, I don't even know if Chinese are, I mean, are most Chinese Buddhists or they, I mean, there's other religions in right. China. Or I would imagine the state that puts up the thing would be less religious right. than than, but, than secular, so there would be nothing. But we've yeah. already seen in the film. It might be credible that there's nothing there. You know, could be nothing. No but we've also seen in, in all of the other places, that she, all of the other spaceships she's been in, they're just cluttered with all kinds of crap. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. And, so, and in fact, an earlier little piece that she sees in the American station is a somewhat, you know, a little floating picture of Warren Brothers' Mar- Marvin Martian. Right. Uh, and everyone laughs because it's now this little piece of space junk or debris is this little. And in some ways, then, I kind of read the Buddha statue in the same way as being a lazy shorthand way of irony, you know. Yeah, and it could be. But I'm and, also saying it could also, you know, in terms of there being this dichotomy of it's either providential or not, part of that providentialness. Okay, there's a space station. And I'm thinking through the filmmaker. Right. And we want to make it somehow Chinese. So what kind of Chinese junk can we imagine is going to be? Oh, but they do plenty of that with the language. And, you know, you yeah. could have had a little shrine. You could have had a little pagoda. You could have all kinds of stuff. Like that. Uh, but, um, but in terms of saying here's a possibility. Well, and there's a difference, too, between having it, it being there in the background. And, and the big shot. It, and the big shot that seems to be to say, okay, we're going to make a special point out of saying that this is significant yeah. in, in some way. This is a commentary. 
Right. Uh, in some way about something that's a comment. But that goes back to my comment about the writing that I think that the, the writing, you had talked about the writing in terms of, of characters. I think this is a film in which the technical achievement of the filming Mm -hmm. is, is exceptional. But part of an overall experience of the movie is that writing is part of the technical yeah. achievement. Character is part of the technical achievement. Uh, plot and script is part of the technical mm-hmm. achievement. What you're pointing the camera at, yeah. uh, what you are actually filming, is part of your technical achievement. And I didn't find that to be as polished or as accomplished mm-hmm. as... I was going to say some of the cinematography, but my friend Doug would kill me. He's got this big thing that cinematography is pointing the camera at something, not adding a digital effect. And you're creating a visual landscape, the creation of a visual landscape. And this might be a a good place to shift or move the conversation slightly. Because I think we're both agreeing that there is a lack of coherence in the kind of what this seeming spiritual art might mean. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I'd go as and, far as incoherence, but a kind of mushiness, a, mushiness. You know, a lack of yeah, um, and, and a lack of depth or substance. And the second thing that we seem to be <coughs> interested in with this film was this discussion about form and content, um, technical achievement, um, and, and I think you know again to kind of start off, I think you know the I think we both agree that the technical special effects. Um, achievement in this film is 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 at a very high level um mm-hmm. they they are doing some amazing things um, with these outer space shots with the you know the, the lack of gravity um you know all of those things are, are exceptional uh, but how does that then have, does it or in what sense does it have an effect on the content well one of the things that i've noticed early on uh, both coming out of Toronto and friends that I hear talking on the internet is so much of the discussion of the film and, and or praise for the film seems to be centered on the technical achievements. Oh, how great that he did this or accomplished this. I'm reminded, I don't know if this is the first time I've made this quote, but my, uh, my former drama teacher in high school who said to me one time, you know, if the review says the audience came away whistling the sets, that's not a compliment. Mm-hmm. Uh, said, of course, you want the sets to be good and you want people to note that they are good. But if that's what everyone is talking about, you ought to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Now, you meaning the person who is the assistant director right. or the actor in it. Um, not everyone has to agree with her uh, that I did, you know, but, but I did. I find that to sort of say, I, I think a film is immersive. And when you start breaking it down into the component pieces so that you can praise one thing without the other thing or glossing over the other thing or praise one part of it. This is a great performance in an otherwise bad movie, or this is a very well shot movie that's got a terrible script or this is a great script, but you know, the lead actress can't do anything about it. Well, in a sense, what you're saying is 
the holistic illusion of the art artifact or the experience of the art artifact has been broken for you. And even in the process of consuming it or experiencing it, you're stepping out of yourself and noticing those particular things. I, I tend to prefer or esteem highly not just great technical achievements, but great technical achievements that are in the service of advancing the story in a particular way. The example I used in my review is, again, Titanic, where uh, there were a lot of great shots in there. There's the famous point of view shot of the ship about right. to go down. But that wasn't like, for me, oh, gee, that's a great shot. It was, oh, my God, that's terrifying. It feels like I'm there. I'm seeing something that I've never seen before. How are they going to escape? And I never found myself doing that with the great shots in Gravity. I found myself going, I wonder how they did that. Uh, you know, that was a great shot. That must have been a strenuous. I wonder how many takes they had to do of that 16-minute you know, <laughs> thing without a cut. Uh, as opposed to sort of saying, oh, my gosh, that must be terrifying i mean there's there's one point of view shot where dr ryan stone is is spinning freewheeling in space and they try to give you a point of view shot um and it feels just a little dizzying or something like that but then they get away from it and for the most part it's actually then you're watching people in this situation rather than being drawn in and feeling like you're experiencing it in a particular way um so that's one thing. I mean, the other thing was just that uh, I, I well, the one thing being, I wonder if all this emphasis on technical achievement is meaningful in some way that if that's all you're ever talking about, doesn't that say something? Well, and I guess, you know, that that's where when we were talking kind of pre-show, I was thinking about. In my mind, there's a, a distinction between technical achievement and form. Right. Um, in my mind, form is going to be more the structure of the narrative, the structure of the film. Um, you know, where's the exposition? Where's the, the building up of these sorts of things? Um, you know, if I'm writing a poem and I'm using a structure, it's about the thought, the, the, the flow of the logic, um, is the structure of things. Um, not so much on the, the technical fireworks. Right. Um, you can take you, know, you can take the technical things that gravity does, apply it to a different film and a different structure, and still have you know fantastic fireworks of technical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I mean, in terms of where the mean, you know, is there meaning? You know, I think we were kind of thinking about you know, in terms of especially like a thin place sort of analysis of spirituality are we saying spirituality is only content and it's not form or right. not and and i think form is meaning um meaningful uh, i do too or i want to do you I, want to, I, yeah. I mean i'm very i, I think this very, film is an interesting case yes and that's why we're yeah, talking which about is why it. we're talking about it and, and and i think what i the things that i hear you talking about to me aren't necessarily form as much as they are just simply oh we need we're gonna we're gonna have a shot here of the earth from outer space, how are we going to, and then what's the technical way we're going to do that? Um, the technique seems to be very advanced. Yes. In, in, in comparison to other things. Uh, to cap off that other thought for a second, because I think something clarified. Oh, good enough. But 
yeah, in talking about a thin place perspective, one of the things that I'm anxious to avoid is we immediately talk about content. What's the religion? Is she praying right. or something like that? So are we saying, okay, what makes a film spiritual is its content. Mm -hmm. Do they pray? Do they make the right prayers? And that seems to me to be a slippery slope towards the identity politics that we try to eschew of courageous is the best film ever because it's the most Christian film right. in its content. And who cares if the acting's not as good or the writing's not as good. Uh, so I, I think I want to find a balance where I really want to avoid just saying all that really matters to me as a spiritual human being is the content. Mm -hmm. uh, but when we're talking about technique, it, it, what it, what occurs to me when we're talking about the point of view shot versus Titanic or something like that, is that when we're talking about technique or technical achievements, we're talking about the tools and what the tools can do. do. Right. When we're talking about form, we're talking about the artist and to what use does he put those tools. Right. And there is a sense in which we have modern power tools that can make very precise cuts that primary other people couldn't right. use or break up harder rocks. You know, we've got lasers that can break up, you know, harder rocks than chisels could. That doesn't mean that something that I make with the laser is a better piece of art than the Pieta that Michelangelo made with the chisel. Right. You know, or so on and so forth. And so really what I'm working my way around to is I have questions about the direction that I think, you know, there's a lot of tools in there where I'm like, wow, that's amazing that they right. can film for 16 minutes without stopping or, you know, have this one big take. Is that, you know, or they can make it very realistic with the zero gravity where I'm not conscious of, boy, it looks like she's on a wire or it really looks like she's in zero gravity. Right. I wonder how they did that. But if all you are doing is showing off the technique, then how is that much different than Star Trek 1 or the, where you get these long, lingering SFX shots that seem to be there to show off the technical ability and not, and then when you get into the second generation, you get into the, uh, okay, well, everyone knows that you can do that, but it becomes more of an integrated part of the story rather than the ends in and of itself that you're. It's funny, I, it, the image that popped through my mind in a totally different media of expression is in cross stitching, where, you know, you, you get these old country samplers yes where it's you know it's the alphabet it's a bunch of different little images whatever but it, the purpose of a sampler is just to show that the it's to practice and it's to show the skill of the cross stitcher but it doesn't itself have any real meaning but then that same cross stitcher will go and make a, a beautiful cross-stitch picture of something, and that's where there's something meaningful. Or another example that comes up, I, I think about in the area of music, that um, there was a TV show, I don't know if it's still on the air, called Nashville. Okay. 
And in one of the scenes in season one, one of the characters got a big break to play second guitar on a country song while they were recording. And while they're recording this song, uh, there comes a point in which he starts improvising and doing a lot of really interesting guitar things that are very technically sophisticated and just trying to blow them out of the water with his guitar playing talent. And his reward for that is he gets fired. And so it was <laughs> like, well, okay, wasn't that good? And he says, the the guy that hired him is like, yes, but that's not what the song needs right now. You don't understand that you're playing second guitar. Right. And if someone notices the second guitar at that point, they're not noticing the lead vocals. And that's breaking up the song and not creating an overall positive effect. And so I, I do think that then going back to part of the direction or part of the integration is that if there's such a noticeable emphasis on you know, technical achievement or particular sounds. I'm, the, there's a part of me that sets that off and says, okay, well, it, you know, isn't a great achievement in art or artistic is the skillful blending of these aspects, writing, performance, technical ability to create a great, you know, to create a great work of art or Looking yeah. again, and just a whole nother example from another medium would be looking at some hyper realistic or photorealistic paintings where you're like, wow, that looks lifelike. I can't believe that that's a painting and not a picture. But once that illusion breaks out or you get down and you verified it is a picture, well, I don't want to hang it in my living room or anything. <laughs> look at it again. I don't get much out of it. And, and you know, to swing this back to gravity, I yeah. think the irony here is at least for me the one of the most affecting shots or scenes in the film was a scene that had no CGI um the the ending yeah the ending thing where it's just it's it's our character and the camera and the, that's all it is well the last i would say <laughs> the last 2 minutes of the film yeah without getting into spoilers is just sublime because it, it, it is, it appears to be done without a whole lot of special effects. It, it, that's where you see Quaron's brilliance as a director right. because it's all about not, I can show you something that's never been showed before, a human face or a situation that's not done, but about where I put the camera, how I frame the shot, right. where if I was in, you know, six inches farther back, it wouldn't work. It would be too far. If I was six inches closer up, you know, it wouldn't work. If I was just, you know, if I, if I carried it on for another 20 seconds, it would be overdone. If I, you know, it, and it, yeah, it's the direction. It's the, I mean, it's, it's in some sense, it's the most human part of the film. And, you know, we're, as I said, it's the camera, it's the person, and we are interacting with that person. Um, it's really quite moving. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, the irony there is in this film where everyone's talking about all the special effects. It's that one, it's the one scene where there aren't any. Yeah. That, well, which I think is getting to our point of these effects are great. I mean, they are spectacular. Um, you know, go see this film in a theater where you can be totally surrounded by the visual. Mm -hmm. um, but 
in terms of the story. Well, and even at the end with that, you know, with the final scene, if there is a meaning attached to that very brilliant filmmaker or filmmaking, yeah. you, you know, that little bit of filmmaking, I'm not sure if the meaning is something that's a little bit more like pro-evolutionary in theme or um, are are suggesting things, and I'm, I'm trying to think how to say this without getting into spoilers, uh, are suggesting things about the meaning of these characters' experiences that then make me wonder whether or not the praying and some of the religious stuff was all just a red herring mm -hmm. or was all just a way of saying, that's great for when you're in that situation, but once we get into another situation, the truth is actually something markedly different from that. And maybe that's a tension or an observation uh, and not just a kind of muddled message. But uh, certainly as, as a Christian viewer, I would have been, um, you know, that last few minutes would have been enough to make me wildly enthusiastic about the film. If I had been able to take, what was going on on screen and transfer it into a coherent, well, now I'm using that word, <laughs> a coherent culmination of a theme that's been building throughout right. the movie, as opposed to, you know, each shot is tenuously, or each scene, mini scene is tenuously tied to the last in terms of here's how we got there, but I'm not sure it's thematically as seamlessly put together. I mean, this past week in my composition class with my students, we were talking about papers that have fantastic paragraphs. That the, the individual paragraphs are really well done. They're, you know, cohesive. They fit together. They have one idea and all these things that we know, think about paragraphs. And that each paragraph is fine and wonderful. But there's no sense of there being any connections between those paragraphs. And you, you could jumble the paragraphs up in any order and it wouldn't make any difference because it just, they're so self-contained. And, and I wonder if there's any That's a really that. great point. I, I, I wonder how significant gravity would be as a movie. If you know, you flip flop real two and real, well, of course they don't have reels. Anymore, right. But, but if you flip flop real two and real three or, you know, um, act one, act two, whatever. Exactly. You know, yeah. if, act, if you went act four, act one, act two, or, yeah, did some flashback or some yeah. other. Yeah, I don't know. That's that's an interesting question. I mean, that gets us into. I think just to swing this all tied up a little bow. Right, form does matter. I mean, what we're talking about here are questions of form. Right. You know, we have these elements. What order do we put them in? How do we connect them? That's form. Well, form matters in an artistic achievement. Yeah. So yeah, and well, and it's also argument. I mean, right. How do we piece these things together? Well, and also it brings us back full circle. What I thought you were going to say to tie it up in a nice little <laughs> bow is in your composition example, those essays that you were talking about that had great paragraphs, those are not failing papers. No. We're not saying this is an <laughs> F. You right. know, in some ways, it, we're saying the hardest thing to do as a teacher, I find, is to make the student who wrote a B paper explain why it's a B paper and not, not an, an A, a paper. Yeah. Because in my experience, I've said this before, students who hand in an F paper usually know it. 
And yeah. I'm sure that artists or directors know on some deep level this is, you know, <laughs> you know this is not very good. Uh, students who hand in a C paper usually know it and are just happy that they didn't have to, to pass. Uh, students who hand in an A paper usually know it. And the ones that are the hardest to describe or analyze are the B papers because you are by your very nature saying you have done some things better than average, right? above average. But there are some things, there are some clear demarcating differences between you and the A paper and right. the excellent and the exceptional. Um, and if I sound like I'm criticizing, it's because you're forcing me to really focus on what is what are the things that keep it from being excellent or outstanding. Right. Um, but I could talk equally long about what are the things that make it better than Disney's The Black Hole or The Last mm-hmm. Starfighter or, you know, episodes of Battlestar Galactica <laughs> or whatever, whatever it is, yeah. you know, other forms of science. Oblivion, you know, <laughs> what is it that makes it better than Oblivion? Or, And again, I I mean, I like Oblivion. Okay, I would say, you know, Oblivion's your CC plus movie or whatever. And I'd say, like, okay, this is better than that, right. you know. Uh, but for those people who are waiting for the next great science fiction movie, I'm not sure that this is that. I think it's, I think it's good. As a person who really is waiting for the next great science fiction movie, I, I didn't think it was. Okay. But it, but it was good. But it, yeah, it was good. I think we've covered our main thing. Anything I, else you want to say? No, no. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the thin place. If you have comments on this episode, please visit our website at www.filmgeekradio.com to leave a comment, or you can email us at thethinplace at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow Ken on Twitter, at Ken Moorfield, or at his blog, the number one, morefilmblog.com. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!